Well, it's great to be here rejoicing in the Holy Ghost. And uh, I want to direct your attention uh, to two passages of Scripture. Uh, first of all, Matthew chapter 21, and we will read verse 18 and 19. And then we're going to Luke chapter 13, beginning uh, with verse number 6. So beginning with Matthew 21, verse 18, he said, Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Then when we go to Luke chapter 13, verse 6, Jesus, or Scripture says that Jesus spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered, and he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to preach a few minutes this morning on this subject, the benefits of not being a loner. Amen. The benefits of not being a loner. And everybody shout amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise God. <clears throat> the Old Testament, and, and of course we can, we can actually uh, say it on this wise, that uh, the Word of God uses so many different types of uh, examples and uh, typology to show uh, how God works with man and how God uh, deals and, and how God sees mankind. And so when you look in the Old Testament, uh, you're going to find that men uh, were oftentimes described as trees. Uh, looking at Psalms chapter 1, he said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, before I go any further, let me just pause right there on that verse and just remind everybody that you got to be careful who you're getting your counsel from. Amen. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Everybody can't tell you how to live for God. Everybody can't tell you what's right and what's wrong. Amen. In fact, the last person you need to be talking to about how to live for God is someone that's never lived for God. Can I get a witness on that? Amen. If they've never lived for God, what do they know about serving the Lord? It's kind of like an old maid telling a woman with four children how to raise her children. She ain't never had one before. Amen. They know how to do it. Well, praise the Lord. That's kind of like some folks want to tell a pastor how to pastor, and they've never pastored before. <laughs> Woo, that'll preach right there. Amen. So he said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, there's a reason why that all of that is placed in Scripture in the manner that it is because if you're listening to the counsel of the ungodly, it won't be long before you'll be standing where sinners stand. You'll view sin like sinners view sin. You'll view, you'll view a life in the world like the world views a life in the world. Amen. You'll see things from the standpoint of a sinner. And then he said, that he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. So if you're listening to the wrong counsel, you're going to be thinking the wrong way, and eventually you'll make fun of those who are trying to live godly, who are trying to be what God wants them to be. 
So that, that's a very important beginning of that verse. And it went on to say, uh, blessed is that man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, sits in the seat, or stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And here's what he said. He shall be like a tree. So an individual that is doing right, being right, listening to the right voices in his life, he said that man will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Amen. I'm just telling you it's important who you're listening to and it's important where you're standing and it's important your attitude because it has a lot to do with whether or not you're going to be planted in the right place bearing fruit in your life. Well, hallelujah. You may not believe this, but this is revival preaching this morning. We don't, want, we don't want a revival that's a thimble deep in a yard wide. We want a revival with depth. And the way you have a revival with depth in a church is have preaching that deals with issues that will make us stronger. Amen. Isaiah chapter 61, he talks about how that they were trees of righteousness, the planting of of the Lord. You got to learn how to be planted. You got to learn how to be planted because if you're planted, you create stability in your life. And you can't be stable if you're always moving from one place to another. Well, hallelujah. And if you're, ooh, I feel Holy Ghost in this house. You got to get planted. You don't want to be a potted plant that someone can just pick up and move it at will. I don't like you. I'm going to move you over here. I'm going to tell you, you, if you're a potted plant and you're not planted somewhere by the river of water, the devil will just move you where he... But what you need to do is let God take your life, take your world, take your marriage, take your ministry, whatever it is, and plant it somewhere where you can grow. Plant it somewhere where you can produce some fruit. Get planted. Somebody say, get planted. Amen. So he's like trees of righteousness. Now, when we read both of these instances in the ministry of Jesus Christ, he is using this particular example in, in both places. He's using it uh, as an analogy to teach men on the personal level and also the church on the corporate level. I understand at that present time that it was a lot of focus on Israel, the Jews, the people of God, but at large, it uh, uh, eventually becomes uh, an analogy that he gives to us, to the church, uh, in a corporate sense. And so when you read both of these verses, you realize that both of these fig trees had a purpose. Amen. There was a purpose for their existence. There was a purpose for which they were there in the place that they were in. And that is that they were expected to bear fruit. They were not fruitless trees. They were supposed to be fruit-bearing trees. Amen. Now, again, because we can use the analogy of trees like men, then it would be obvious when we read this, these verses that both of these trees, from the standpoint of being a tree, was a good tree. Amen. When you read the scripture, they had green leaves. They were green trees. And just by the appearance of the tree... You could also tell what kind of tree they were. They were a fig tree. Now, if you know anything about fig trees, they have a very unique looking leaf. And when you look at that leaf, you identify it immediately as a fig tree. These trees were mature trees. They were large trees. The problem with these trees is that they were bearing no fruit. Amen. These trees may have felt pretty good about themselves. 
These trees could have thought, I am planted. I am growing where I am. Look at my large branches. I've been here a long time. Look at my leaves, how large and green they are. So the trees, from the standpoint of a man's perspective about life, could have felt like that what I'm doing is sufficient. And how I am is sufficient and it is acceptable. But what you and I may think is sufficient and acceptable may not be what the master's looking for. Amen. The master may be looking for a lot more than the fact that you've been coming to church for a long time. Oh, hallelujah. The master may be looking for more than just green leaves. The master may be looking for just a big tree. He might be looking for some fruit. He might be looking for somebody that's bearing some fruit in their life. Oh, hallelujah. Now, the religious world will tell you that believing is sufficient. Their message to you is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That is the message of the religious world. They will tell you that simply believing is sufficient for you to be saved. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Matthew chapter 3 and 8, John the Baptist is introducing the message of the kingdom. And here's what he says. Bring forth therefore fruit meet for repentance. So God's looking for more than just believing. He's looking for somebody to bear fruits of repentance. Oh, hallelujah. That means when you come to God, you got to start bearing some fruit of repentance. You gotta, there's got to be an obvious difference in your life. There's got to be decisions that you make. You decide, I'm done with sin. I'm done with alcohol. I'm done with drugs. I'm done with an immoral lifestyle. I'm done with ungodliness. I'm finished with the world of sin. I want to live for Jesus Christ. There's got to be some fruit that's born in your life. God's looking for more than just a declaration of faith. Amen, amen. And then uh, there are those that will tell you that a life of separation is not important, that a life of separation is not necessary, that you really don't have to change when you come to Jesus Christ, that he will accept you as you are. Well, oh, Lord, I got so many things coming to my mind right now, and I know I can't preach all of it. I understand I got more preaching than y'all got time to listen to. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. There's a doctrine out there that, that, that simply is teaching that, that you can just come to God as you are and that doesn't have to be any change in your life. God will not accept everything you bring to him. In fact, just go back to the book of Genesis and you'll find out what God brought to Cain God didn't accept. Amen. He accepted what Abel brought, but he didn't accept what Cain brought. You can't bring the life of sin and say, save me in my sin, because that's not why Jesus came. The Bible said he shall save his people from their sins. God wants to get you out of sin. He wants to get you out of addiction. He wants to break the bondage and the yoke. Amen. And so they'll tell you that go ahead and live for God. You don't have to change. You don't have to change the way you dress. You don't have to change the way you live, the way you talk, the places you go. You don't have to change any of that. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Romans chapter 6 and 22 says, Now being made free from sin. And become the servants to God, you have your fruits unto holiness and the end of everlasting life. What does God look for out of us? He's looking for us to bear fruits of holiness. My God, hallelujah. Somebody shout amen. I said he's looking for fruits of holiness. Holiness. 
Now, 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 when he says fruits of holiness, what's he talking about here? How do you describe? Well, when you go to a fruit tree, the fruit that is born is the evidence of the nature of that tree. We're not made holy by our sleeve length, by the fact that we men cut our hair. Our ladies don't cut their hair, and I could go down the list. I don't have time to go down all the list, but, but, but the fact is that's not what makes us holy. We do that because we are holy. It's the nature. Amen. The fruits of holiness is a separated life. The fruits of holiness is a change in the way you live. When you get the Holy Ghost inside of you, you get a new nature. The Bible said we're now partakers of his divine nature. And when we get divine nature in us, there's going to be a manifestation there's going to be fruits of that holiness. What are the fruits of that holiness? The fruits of that holiness is how you live. It's how you talk. It's how you walk. It's Amen. You know, Jesus told the woman at the well, uh, whenever she was questioning him about the water and all of that, and they were talking about it, uh, he said this. Uh, he, he said uh, that, that the Father is seeking such to worship him. They that worship him, he said, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. He said, true worshipers, true worshipers shall worship. Say it again, preacher. True worshipers shall worship. What's he telling us? If you are a true worshiper, if you've got the nature of a worshiper, you're going to worship. Oh, hallelujah. Listen to me. It is not activity that determines nature. It's nature that determines activity. So if you have the nature of a worshiper, you're going to worship. Just like if you have the nature of holiness in you, then you are going to live holy. You're going to live separated from this world. Oh, come on now. Hallelujah. A woman who has got the Holy Ghost inside of her doesn't need makeup to look make her look better. The scripture said that he beautifies... Come on, he beautifies the meek with repentance. Amen. I have seen, I have seen women that were, that were very modest in their apparel, but they were very immodest and immoral in their spirit. Oh, glory to God. Because of the fact, and I, I'm, I'm getting bogged down here, and I don't want to do that. Hallelujah. I'm getting caught up in something right now. Amen. But the reason is because uh, uh, that, that, that whenever you can dress godly, you can dress modest, but not have a modest spirit. But you can't have a modest spirit without dressing modestly. I knew it's going to get quiet. You start digging on stuff like this and folks start backing up. Don't back up. Don't back up. The master's looking for some fruit. The master's looking for fruit. The master's looking for somebody to bear fruit. So if you've got the nature of a worshiper, you're going to worship. And if you've got the nature of holiness inside of you, you're going to be separate. You're going to live different. You're not going to live like the world. You're going to love the things that you once hated. You're going to hate the things that you once loved because something new is inside of you. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. That's why you don't talk like you used to talk. That's why you don't go the places you used to go. That's why you don't live like you used to live. It's because you got a new nature inside of you. Jesus is looking for fruit in your life. Amen. So let's get back to our text. Let's get back to our message. 
That's, that's, that's enough announcements. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's get back to our text. Notice a distinct difference between Matthew's record of one event and Luke's record of a different event. Notice the difference. Scripture said that in Matthew, as he returned into the city, he hungered, and when he saw a fig tree in the way, meaning that it was merely growing beside the road. It was in along a pathway or a roadway. But whenever you read Luke's description of a different situation, it's a different, complete different description. He spake this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. So one was by the way and one was in the vineyard. It appears that one just sprang up. That one was just a wild tree. That it was there by mistake or it was accidental. That it was where it was. But the other one was planted. It was planted on purpose, meaning it had a purpose. And even when it wasn't fulfilling its purpose, it had somebody there to fend for it and give it a chance. Oh, hallelujah. One was by the way and the other one was in the vineyard. One had somebody to fend for it and the other one had nobody to fend for it. The one by the way was alone, but the one in the vineyard was surrounded by others that had been planted. And the one in the vineyard had a husbandman there that whenever there was a declaration to cut the tree down, he said, give me a little bit more time. Let me work with this tree a little while longer. Let me dig around this tree. Let me fertilize this tree. And after a period of time, if it's not bringing fruit, then we'll cut it down. I've come to tell somebody here today that there's some benefits in not being a loner. Oh, hallelujah. I said there's some benefits in not being a loner. You need to thank your God. You've got a pastor. You've got a man of God in your life. That when it looks like that, that, that your world is spinning out of control and, and you're fruitless and you're not getting anywhere, he's there to say, look, I'm going to work with you a while. I'm going to be here to help you. You're not going to have to do this by yourself. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to work with you. Come on. You need a pastor. I said you need a pastor. Thank God for a husbandman. Thank God for a preacher. Thank God for a man of God who's concerned about your soul. He's concerned about your future. He's concerned about who you are. He's concerned about whether or not you're growing in God. Oh, praise the Lord. You said, well, I, I wish my pastor wouldn't just stay on me. I wish he wouldn't just keep preaching to me. Every time I come to church, he's preaching to me. I know he is. I have no doubt. In fact, I know that, 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 that he, he talked about some things tonight that I'm sure somebody told him about that. They, they obviously spoke to him. No, no, no. You don't understand. You need to thank God for a preacher that will not leave you where you are. That will not leave you in the condition you came to church in. Come on. Amen. You need to thank God for a preacher that believes that you can bear fruit. That you can be productive in the kingdom. That you can grow in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God for a preacher that when God says cut it down, he says, wait a minute, God. No, no, no. Don't cut it down yet. 
Let's don't destroy them yet, Lord. Let's, let's work on this situation. Give me a little bit more time. Let me do a little bit more praying. Let me do a little bit more preaching. Let's see if we can get this situation straightened out. Come on, church. I'm telling you, there's some of us that God would have ditched a long time ago if it wasn't for a man of God that said, I want to help them. I want to save them. I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want them to be lost. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Amen. God, first of all, gives you a pastor. He gives you a husbandman to oversee your spiritual growth. Amen. I, I, I don't have time, but I, I preached here on Genesis chapter one on the very first Sunday that we were here. I guess that was last Sunday. It's been a lot of miles and a lot of hours since then. Amen. Getting, going out to Washington State to a conference and staying up half the night and then yesterday traveling. Uh, my, my first first flight uh, was canceled at 6 a.m. in the morning time and I had to wait to 1.25 and instead of getting back in Little Rock at 1.30 yesterday, I got, finally got back about 8.30 last night. Amen. So I'm not working on a whole lot of sleep and a whole lot of rest, but I'm feeling mighty good in the Holy Ghost right now. Amen. So, so we were talking uh, last Sunday about Genesis chapter 1, and, and one thing I didn't bring out was the fact if you go through that whole chapter, you'll learn that first of all, the Spirit moved on that world. Second of all, the Word began to produce some things in that world. But there's a third element, and that element is God made man and gave him dominion. So what you see, and I don't have time to get into all the details of this, but what you see is the Spirit moved, the Word produced, and God put a man there to preserve what the Spirit Spirit had moved on and the word had produced. Come on. I'm telling you, you need to love your pastor. You need to thank God for your pastor. You need to thank God for a man that's going to help preserve what the spirit moved on and what the word produced in your life. Come on. Amen. God put the man there to preserve what he had created. That's why you need a preacher. That's why the scripture says that he chose by the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe. Amen. I'm just going to tell you, very simple, very plain, and I'm not, I'm not lifting up personalities, all right? I'm not lifting up personalities. I'm lifting up an office that God created. It's the office of the pastor. It's not so much the personality that fills that office, but it is the office that God set in order so you can be saved. Because I'm telling you, you can't be saved without a pastor. Because you're going to come to times in your life when you're not producing much fruit. And you're going to come to times in your life when you're going to fail to be everything you should be. And if you don't have a pastor there to help save you, you might get cut down. My, my, my. It got quiet right there. You got to have a pastor. Amen. And the second thing is to realize that God put you in a church. We have a whole religious world out here today. They got, they got a place they call Church Without Walls. And they got, uh, they got other names. And, and basically, the whole premise behind all of that is you don't need a church. You don't need a congregation. You don't need a group of people. You don't need to go to church and have fellowship. No, 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 friend. He put them in a vineyard. He planted that tree in the vineyard. The tree, by the way, the tree that was not in the vineyard got cursed and withered up and died. But the one in the vineyard that not only had a husbandman, but also had other trees around it. It had fellowship. Oh, thank God for fellowship. Thank God for the church. Thank God for the people of God. There's a lot to be said about not being a loner. God puts you in the vineyard for a purpose. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. 
Listen to this. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit. There is an intrinsic connection between you receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and being put in the body of Christ. When you repent of your sins and you are baptized in Jesus' name, that brings you out of the world. That's what separates you from the world. But you're not in the body until you are filled with that same spirit. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. When you're baptized in Jesus' name, you're baptized out of the world. But when you're baptized with the Holy Ghost, you're baptized into the body. You're baptized into the church. You're baptized into a fellowship of believers, a community of believers. Hallelujah. Man, God's got you there for a reason because there'll be a day you need a brother. There'll be a day you need a sister. There'll be a day you need help. There'll be a day you need strength. Somebody shout amen. In fact, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in 4 and 16. He said, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now again, I don't have time to break all that down in detail, but what he's saying to us is that when you become a part of the body, first of all, first of all, it means you have something to contribute to the body. And the other thing is, the body has something to contribute to you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. This is not just a life that you live where you receive everything. Amen. We live in a generation, we live in a society right now that has an entitlement mentality. That entitlement mentality means everybody owes everything to me. Amen. Everybody ought to give everything to me. And they don't want to contribute anything to society. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. His body is not a welfare church. Somebody shout amen. Now, now let me qualify what I'm saying right here, okay? Let me qualify something. I believe in helping the poor. I do it all the time, all right? I'm working in Africa. I'm working in India. I'm working in a lot of different places around the world with the Lord's help. I have no issue with helping the poor. What I do have an issue with is helping somebody that could get up and make it on their own if they weren't so lazy. Amen. Amen. That's where I have a problem. Because you got some folks that come to church, the only thing they want the church to do is pay their light bill, pay their rent, pay their car payment. We may not have enough money to pay everybody's light bill and everybody's car payment and everything else, but what we do have is something that will save you from eternal damnation. The church is not a welfare agency. The church is the body of Christ designed to give you what you need in order to be saved. Now, now I, I, let me go a step further with my qualification here because I don't, want, I don't want you to be offended if you're having to accept welfare because you're in a situation where that's not even of your own making. I understand these things happen. You, un, you gotta understand the heart of this preacher. I get all of that, and I don't have an issue with that. Amen. But I got an issue when people game the system. I said, I got a problem when they game the system. 
because they're too lazy to get up and go do it. I think if you have to have welfare, you ought to be receiving it with one thing in mind. I'm getting off of this. Somewhere God's going to give me a job. Somewhere God's going to help me. And I'm going to become a contributor to society and not a drain on society. So I bring it back to the community of believers. I bring it back to the church and try to help you understand that God didn't save you to become a drain on the church. He saved you to become a contributor to the church. Amen. When you're worshiping, you're contributing. Whenever you are praying, you're contributing. Whenever you're encouraging somebody, you're contributing. Whenever you're engaged with them, you're contributing to the church. Glory to God. Somebody said, well, you obviously never had financial problems. I want to tell you right now, friend, I know what it is to have to reach up and touch the bottom. I know what it is to not have a dime in my pocket. I know what it is, amen, to have to, to have to we, 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 we were trying to start a church one time, and we were trying to have revival. We had no money, very few people, and we had two buildings there that, that we had uh, that that we we were we owned, and uh, so there was there was some uh, uh, between the two buildings there was I don't know what and that copper wire must have been that big around, and uh, because it was in connected to our building but was not being used, it was connected to the other building. We just went over to our other building and disconnected it and hooked up that wire to the back of a car and pulled out about a hundred twenty five feet of four strands of copper tube like that and went down and sold it so we could have enough money to have revival. So I know what that's about. Huh? You know what I was doing? I was looking I was looking for a way to get this job done. And what I just read to you from the book of Ephesians is a description of the body of Christ. We are members one of another. There is a, my, 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 hallelujah. There, there's, a, there, there's a connection between me and my brother. I'm glad I'm not in this thing by myself. I'm glad I'm not have to live in this thing all alone. I've got a brother to support me. I've got a brother to strengthen me. I'm sorry, y'all just gonna have to bear with me until I get done, till the Holy Ghost gets done. I'm gonna teach and preach what I feel here today. He said, by that which every joint supplieth. Now, this good brother's gonna let me use him as an example. We got a joint right here, right? We got a joint, look at this, it works. Amen, it works. These joints work, look at these fingers here. Boy, them big fingers right there, hallelujah. These, these fingers, they got joints in every one of them. There's a, there's a substance between the joints of your body. That's called collagen. Amen. Collagen is the substance that allows your joints to function. It keeps the joints close enough together that they can work together, but far enough apart that they don't rub on each other. Now you can look at my fingers here. I'm having problems with the loss of collagen. I'm having, I'm having what they call calcium deposits, which is arthritis. And they don't work like they used to. I don't have any grip in this hand. I'm struggling with, with the grip in my left hand. I have a hard time holding anything in it because I've just got some issues that are there. I'm losing some stuff. Well, let me tell you what the Bible teaches us, that the Holy Ghost, which is shed abroad in our hearts, the love of God that is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. When God gave you the Holy Ghost, the love of God in your heart is the collagen between you and your brother, between you and your sister. Come on now. The love of God in our hearts is what keeps all of us close enough together that we can work together but far enough apart that we don't grate on each other's nerves. Woo. Huh? Far enough apart that we don't, we don't create pain in the body. 
I'm not here to create pain. I'm here to work with my brother. I'm here to contribute to him while he contributes to me. Every joint is supplying something. Every part of the body is supplying something to another part of the body. That's why that there's a benefit of not being a loner. You want to live for God by yourself. You don't feel like you need a pastor. You don't feel like you need a church. You don't realize the position you're putting yourself in. You're putting yourself in a position where that you think that you don't need anybody. And there'll be a day when you're going to need somebody, but you're going to be alone. Ain't nobody going to be there to help you. In fact, Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 lets us know that's a lot better when there's two. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, listen, if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he has no one to help him up. Hallelujah. I said, woe to him who is alone when he falleth. Because he don't have anybody to help him up. Amen. So you got brother walking with brother. Amen. And one falls. Amen. Now if I'm by myself, I might be saying, I have fallen and I can't get up. Hallelujah. But if I got a brother here, he could say, come on, get back up again. You can't stay down there. You weren't meant to die. You weren't meant to backslide. You weren't meant to walk out on God. You weren't meant to give up. Get up, get up. When you got a brother that says, get up, you need to thank God for that brother. When you got a sister that says, get up, Amen. You know, there's another beautiful example in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9 through 11, Joab was sent out to battle. And here's what the Bible said. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And here's what Joab said to Abishai. He said, if the Syrians be strong for you or for me, because Joab's going to go fight the Syrians. And so he says, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then you're going to come over and help me. But if the children be of Ammon, because Abishai was going to fight the children of Ammon, he said, the children of Ammon be too strong for you, then I'm going to come and help you. Amen. Abishai, you got your battle to fight. Abishai, I got my battle to fight. But I want to tell you what I'm going to be doing, Abishai. While I'm fighting the Syrians, I'm going to be looking over my shoulder, and I'm going to be seeing how my brother's doing. While I'm out here fighting my battle, I'm going to see how my brother is doing in his battle. And if it looks like the children of Ammon are overcoming him, I'm coming over to where my brother is. I'm going to help my brother. I'm, come on. You need to thank your God you got a brother that'll watch your back. Thank God for a sister that says, I got your back. Amen. I got your back. I'm watching. I know. Come on, there's some benefits to not being alone. When you're out there on the battlefield, thank God for a brother that's watching your back. Somebody shout amen. Came across something not too long ago. And just as a brief background so everybody understands where this is coming from, the children of Israel had been in battle. The ark of God had been taken. The Philistines had taken control of the ark of God. And whenever they brought news from the battle, because in the battle, in the battle, there was a son of Eli, the high priest, 
that was killed in the battle. And the ark of God was taken in that battle. And so they brought news to Eli, the priest of God at that time, about the battle. Your son has died, and the ark of God has been taken. And when that happened, when he heard that news, the Bible said he fell off the bench that he was sitting on, broke his neck, and he died. So now we have the ark being taken. We have the, we have the son that was taken, that died in the, in the battle. And now we have Eli, the high priest. And so the daughter-in-law, the wife of the son that was, that was killed in battle, they brought word to her and said to her, the ark of God has been taken. Your husband was killed in battle and now your father-in-law has died. And she was with child. And when she heard the news, it sent her into labor. The news was so traumatic to her, it sent her into, la- into labor. And when the child was born, she named this child Ichabod. Because she says, the glory is departed from Israel. Because the ark was taken and because her father-in-law died and her husband died. She said, the glory's departed. We don't have any more glory. So now you've got a boy. Listen carefully. I'm, 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 I'm going to start trying to land this thing. I know I've been flying a 747 this morning. Amen. But, but, but the ark, all that's been going on. And so you got a young boy that is, that is raised with a name, with a reputation. The glory has departed. Whenever his name was called Ichabod, when they were on the playground, whenever he was growing up in life, he was always Ichabod. It was a reminder of a day when devastation hit Israel. It was a reminder of a day when bad things took place, when her father-in-law died, her husband died, the ark was taken, amen. It was, it was a reminder of what happened on that day. It was a reminder that her, his mama named him after the state of things in Israel. Ichabod, Ichabod, Ichabod. The glory's departed. No glory. What a horrible life to live. What a horrible way to have to go through life that you're always reminded when they call your name of the day that the glory departed from Israel. But I read something not long ago. It said in 1 Samuel 14 and 3, It said, and Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. What? Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. Ichabod had a brother, an older brother, a brother born previous to whenever he was born. And when I look at Ichabod's brother's name, Ahiatub means my brother is good. (laughs) Hallelujah. My brother is good. So before Ichabod was ever born, God gave him a brother. Woo! Come on. God gave him a brother that whenever Ichabod was walking around with that dejected, rejected attitude and spirit, it was a brother that came to him and said, come on, Ichabod, you're still good. You're going to be all right. Everything's going to be just fine. You can make it. Amen. I know what your name means, but Ichabod, I'm your brother. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of y'all need to listen to this preacher here this morning. Before you ever came to church, God already gave you a brother that was born in the kingdom before you got here. God gave you a sister that was born in the kingdom before you ever got here. And you know what their attitude toward you is? When you're struggling with your life and you're struggling with your addictions and you're struggling with failure, you got a brother there saying, you're good. You're good. Come on, you can make it. You can survive this. You can get above this. Hang in there. Don't stop now. Don't stop now. 
There's some benefits to not being a loner. There's some benefits in not trying to live this thing by yourself. Thank God for the church. Thank God for the people, oh God. I got to hurry. I know I do. But, but this just things in my spirit. And I know y'all got church at 2 o'clock. But I, I just, I'm, I'm just telling you. Somebody needs to hear what this preacher's preaching here today. I'm going overtime, and I know that. We're going into the 10th inning right now. Hallelujah. But God told Jeremiah, go to the potter's house. Go to the potter's house. I'm going to cause you to hear my word. He said, so I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Amen. The operative statement in Jeremiah's experience was not that the vessel was marred, but that the potter made it again. Come on, that's the operative statement. But I want you to notice something. And the vessel that he made, he went down to the potter's house. The, he, behold, he wrought a work on the wheels and the vessel that he made of clay was marred where? In the hand of the potter. Come on. Amen. The vessel was in the hand of the potter. Oh, glory to God. The vessel wasn't by itself. The vessel wasn't alone sitting on a shelf somewhere that somebody knocked off. No, no, no. The vessel was in the hand of the potter. And it was marred. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to get marred, if you're going to fail, you need to do it with the potter's hands on you. The only hope that you have of being made all over again is if the potter's hands are still on you. That's why if you fail, don't quit going to church. Don't quit coming to the house of God. Don't quit listening to preaching. Come on. Don't isolate yourself. Don't put yourself by yourself. Get back to the potter. Get back to the house. Get back to where the potter can put his hands on you. If you're going to fail, don't fail by yourself out there. If you're going to fail, at least fail trying to live for God. Because that's your only hope. Your only hope is that the potter can keep his hands on you. There's some benefits to not being alone. I'm going to give you one more example and I'm quitting. Here's what the Bible gives us. There was two laws that God gave to Israel that I think are very applicable to what I'm preaching. Deuteronomy 22, beginning with verse 23. If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto an husband, and a man find her in the city, everybody say in the city, if this man finds her in the city and he lies with her, then you shall bring them both out unto the gate of that city and you shall stone them with stones that they die. Listen, the damsel, she has to die because she cried not being in the city. And the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so they, thou shalt put away evil from among you. Now there's a contrasting law that follows in verse 25 of that same chapter. But if the man find a betrothed damsel in the field and the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. 
For as when a man riseth against his neighbor and slayeth him, even so is this manner. For he found her in the field, and the betrothed damsel cried, and there was nobody to save her. There was nobody to save her. Think about what, that, what those two laws just said to us. Amen. Understand, this damsel, this virtuous, pure young lady betrothed to be married to an husband, engaged. In both situations, she has an attacker, one that attacks her, one that violates her. But there's a distinct difference in the two laws, and it was based on one thing, whether she cried out or whether she didn't cry out. Amen. And the question, Pastor, would be, why didn't she cry out in the city? Is it because she was afraid of what people would say about her? There was a fear of retribution. There was a fear of being made fun of. Come on. Because listen, church, if there was a safe place for her to cry out, it should have been the city. Because she wasn't alone. She had people around her. And if she had cried out when she was attacked, somebody could have come to her rescue. Somebody could have responded to where she was. Now, I'm going to submit something to you here today. There's going to be a whole lot of people, I've, I'm personally of the opinion, there's going to be more people go to hell because of pride than there ever will be where sin, adultery, fornication, alcoholism, drug addiction, you name it. Huh? Because we got folks that come to church that won't cry out when this ought to be the safest place where folks could cry out. Huh? This ought to be the place that a man or a woman can run down to the altar and say, church, you need to pray for me. I failed. I messed up. I need the help of God. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? And be able to do it without any fear, without fear of retribution, without fear of being isolated, without fear of being made fun of. Come on, this is the safe place. The church is the safe place where people can get the help that they need. Amen. Because if you're attacked out there and you cry out, there may not be anybody there to help you. Let's stand. There may not be anybody out there to help you. The world is not the place for you to cry out because they're not going to be there to help you. Amen. There's a whole world out there that you can cry out all you want and there's nothing they can do for you. They've tried everything. They've tried everything and they can't help you. I heard a preacher preach this week. This fits so perfectly. Amen that the world we live in today can't help people. When it comes to the, when it comes to the, the epidemic of fentanyl and other drugs, amen, they tried everything. They've tried to put them in jail. That didn't help. They've tried to lengthen their sentences in jail, and that didn't help. They've tried to shorten the sentence, and that didn't help. They've tried chemical dependency programs. That don't help. Are you, anybody believe what I'm saying? That's, I'm talking about our current world right now. People are crying out out there in that world for help, and there is no help. Whether it be our, our Department of Justice, whether it be our, our social uh, agencies and, and we could go down the list. Legislation hasn't helped. We have an absolute epidemic. We got a pandemic. Amen. And there's no help out there. It's not changing anything. We have an all-time high 
of deaths from fentanyl, from heroin. Anybody? Un- I, I, you, you, you do understand what I'm talking about, don't you? And the world don't have the answer. Where is the answer? The answer is in the city. The answer's right here in the city. Because if there's any place that can help somebody who's being overwhelmed by the attack, this is the place. Amen. But here's here's what concerns me, and that is the state of the city. What kept this young lady from crying out? What kept her? Was it an attitude in the city? Was it an attitude in the... What, what kept that? from? What kept her? Did she know that where she was at, that this is what was going to happen to her if she cried out? If anybody ought to be able to feel comfortable to cry out, It ought to be right here. Come on, church. I don't care where they've come from. I don't care what their background is. I don't care what they're involved in. I don't care what they're up against. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if it's saint or sinner. Because we got people among us that are struggling with things that they're drowning right now. The enemy is attacking them, but they're worried that if they cry out, the church is going to ostracize them. The church is going to isolate them. The church is going to create an attitude of retribution in their life, and they're not going to know what to do. Oh, God. And so pride stops a lot of people because of fear. Pride stops them because of fear of what people are going to think about them. You know what you ought to be saying this morning? I don't care what anybody thinks. I want to be saved. I don't care what they say about me. I want to be saved. I don't care what the whispers are behind my back. I don't care. I got to live for God. I got to have the Holy Ghost. I got to be delivered from this. I need to be set free. Ah, somebody help me. Somebody help me. That ought to be the cry that we hear in the church. Come on, we don't need to be in the business of of covering up the attack of hell. We need to be in the business of saying this is a place where you can get set free. And I'm telling you what I feel in the Holy Ghost right now, this is a place where you can get set free this morning. I don't care what you're dealing with, this is a place to get set free. This is a place where God will deliver you. This is a place where God will bring you out. You're in a place that's safe because you're not alone. I said you're not alone. Hallelujah. Lord, I feel so much Holy Ghost in this house right now. I feel so much Holy Ghost in this house. This altar's open right now. Amen. If you're tired, if you're tired of the attack of hell, if you're tired of, of sin controlling you, if you're tired of the constant barrage of, of hell upon your life, Amen. This is a place to come cry out. This is a place to come and say, I need some help. I need some help. I need some help. I need some help. And I want to tell you, if you're here today and you've got the Holy Ghost and God's using you, God's blessing you, then you need to look around here in this altar today and say, I'm going to go pray with a brother. I'm going to be Ichabod's brother this morning. I'm going to be Ichabod's brother today. I'm going to be today, today in this house. I'm going to be the brother of Ichabod. I'm going to go tell my brother it's going to be okay. I'm going to tell my brother everything's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Come on. Come on in close. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you've got the Holy Ghost, come on up here and pray with somebody that's reaching out right now, praying for God to help them, praying for God to make a difference in their life. If you've got it all together and you're not under the attack of hell, come on up here this morning and help somebody else defeat their battle. Amen. You need to tell your brother, I got your back. You need to tell your sister, I got your back. Come on, come up here and tell somebody it's going to be all right. I'm with you. I'm behind you. I'm praying for you. Go ahead.
Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, church. Come on, this is the Holy Ghost working here today. That's it, that's it, that's it. Come on, your help's here. Your help is here, your help is here. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Come on, go to your brother Abishai. Come on, Joab, go tell your brother I'm here to help you fight your battle. Hallelujah. Come on, Abishai, go tell Joab I'm here to help you fight your battle. I'm here to help you. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be by yourself. I'm here to strengthen you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to bless you. the Holy Ghost is trying to help somebody here today there's a benefit to not being a loner there's a benefit to not being a loner there's a benefit to not trying to live it by yourself come on let the church pray with you let the church strengthen you let the church lend some glory some energy some help to your life hallelujah you're my brother you're my sister.